Welcome to Automation Notes, brought to you by Doc Digitizer. The Automation Notes podcast is a collection of new and inspiring insights about intelligent automation. We will discuss with the world's leading intelligent automation minds the most recent trends, success stories, and promising projects in the intelligent automation space. But before we dive into today's show, if you want to take your automation projects to an all-new level, leveraging critical data locked in your documents, photos, or emails, visit DocDigitizer.com and find out how you can deploy the world's most reliable intelligent document processing platform in less than one day. Thanks to its proprietary technology, using the most advanced AI breakthroughs in cognitive automation, natural language processing, and a built-in expertly designed human in the loop, Doc Digitizer offers the world's first all-inclusive intelligent document processing platform. They also offer unusual features like handwrite support, complex table data extraction, fraud detection, and out-of-the-box integration with UiPath, BluePrism, Automation Anywhere, and many other automation tools. So stop spending months getting data sets and training models to deploy an IDP tool and then end up with costly human-in-the-loop data validation on every single document. But don't just take my word for it. Take the word of leading global 2,000 organizations, all loving and using Doc Digitizer to unlock hyper-automation over complex and unstructured mission-critical processes. Head over to DocDigitizer.com and start your all-inclusive IDP journey. But it is now time for one more incredible Automation Notes show. Hello and welcome to our show. My name is John Fernandes, founder and CEO of Doc Digitizer, and I will be your host for today's episode of Automation Notes. Today, we have as our guest Oliver from EAC, Intelligent Automation Company, which is a very good name. So hi, Oliver, and thanks for being on our show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Quite exciting uh, conversation ahead of us, so that's going to be good. Fantastic. Um, can you share with our audience who you are and what you do at uh, ISE? Sure. So my name is Olivier Gomez. People call me uh, OG. You probably have seen uh, my OG approved stamp on LinkedIn and all social networks. Um, I have uh, quite an extensive background in uh, what we call nowadays in intelligent automation. So I've been doing that for many, many years. And now uh, a bit less than two years ago, uh, I created a company called IEC, IEC.ai, and uh, we are a boutique, so a team of specialists uh, focusing on uh, basically delivering results for, for large large clients. So that's what we do. I'm located in France, and uh, my my company is uh, is global, right? So we have delivery in, in Asia and in Eastern Europe. And what drove you to, to create IEC after this quite a few years working in intelligent automation, what drove you to create this company? And what what was the opportunity that you spot on the market uh, to, to create a new, uh, a new company and a, a new approach to that market? Yes. I think the, the need that we found was that obviously uh, lack of return on investment uh, that we've seen across multiple projects and uh, we felt that we could definitely advise and help client uh, achieve outcome. So we we decided to um, 
start this company because we have, again, uh, extensive track record in delivering results and in, in achieving return investment. We felt we could leverage that to help uh, large clients, right? So we see in the market and the research is telling us that, uh, you know, difficulty to scale, difficulty to achieve return investment. And, you know, we felt that we could definitely help there because we've we've been there and we've done that. Fantastic, and and I think the, the the RPA market is 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 booming during the recent years, and this um, that the, nowadays there are a lot of of, of course RPA vendors, uh, technology vendors, but also system integrators. Mm-hmm. So if you if you uh, could sum up uh, in two or three tweets, what mm-hmm. do you think are your best differentiation points, um, mm-hmm. and 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 how how how, how can they overcome this gap on the market? Yeah. So first of all, uh, the way we define uh, intelligent automation, right? So as described in this book, you see it's quite utilized. This is one of the reference book. Uh, for it is, company. it is. <laughs> so, so the way we, we define uh, intelligent automation is not just RPA, right? So there's a, there's a full ecosystem nowadays of technologies uh, that are going above and beyond RPA are covering uh, what we call, you know, the brain and the voice and, and the vision and all of that. And we, we aggregate all this together, right? So the, the, from, a, from a vendor standpoint, it's really, really rich, right? And uh, to go back to your, to your question, uh, what, what we are really bringing to the table here with, with, with this team of, of, of uh, specialists, right, is really... Uh, the true advisory in a sense that we are putting ourselves on the side of the client. We are representing the interest of the client and we are really, really, and maybe we'll go into the details, but we are really, really helping uh, the client minimize the risk they are taking when uh, starting or when scaling or frankly, when struggling with uh, their automation strategy, right? So that's a really important point is the fact that uh, we work not for the client, but we work with the client as advisor. And because we are a team of uh, specialists, we typically enter large uh, large company that already have uh, large partners, uh, large uh, solution providers, large system integrator in place, right? So we are not obviously here to displace the EY and the IBM and all those large company the Cognizant, the Wipro, we are really uh, adding uh, to, uh, let's say, the environment to really help advise the client and help the client achieve result, right? That's really, really what we do. Uh, Obviously, given our size, we are very flexible, uh, which is also very, very uh, uh, important for the client. And and given that we don't have hundreds of clients, we are really, really focused on, on our client, right? So, the flexibility, uh, the deep expertise, uh, the 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 absolute, I would say, technology agnostic approach when advising the client. Right, we are not trying to push this technology or that technology. We are really trying to highlight what's the best for the client. And and by the way, we are so so confident doing that that you know we we are we are even willing to take risk on behalf of the client. And and we we can go into the details, explain what I mean by that. Amazing, but but before that, I saw on your on your website that uh, 
all, 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 all your team has a very strong and dense background on intelligent automation. Mm -hmm. So uh, I must say that I was very impressed. And I know that you guys have been working for quite some time in this mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. uh, so, the, the, and, and, and as you know, this space is becoming more and more trending nowadays. Mm -hmm. Everybody's mm -hmm. talking about intelligent automation. Mm -hmm. But how do you think this market uh, evolve over time? Uh, is, 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 is intelligent automation a, a new thing? Is still innovative? Or, or is just a commodity? Uh, is there anything behind the buzz? Yes, I think that's a, that's a very good question. I don't think there's a buzz anymore as such, right? I think uh, this is a well-established industry nowadays. Meaning, you know, see it as, I don't know, uh, electricity or see it as internet, right? There's no going back. We will never go back. We will never do less AI, less automation. We are only going to do more, right? I think what we see here is that obviously uh, this industry, which is a new industry, it's actually this software segment is actually a newly created software segment that did not exist, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, uh, this industry is now um, a very mature industry compared to maybe five, 10 years ago where it was, you know, in the innovation phase. So I don't think you can see it as a commodity, but you can see it as a mature industry, which means that there's, you know, a different set of expectation around uh, those projects. We are done with playing with the technology, seeing the technology as something cool that, you know, we want to test and do a couple of POC, POV. I think most of the companies, and not just the large company, uh, I would include, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the, you know, the SMB companies as well. They are now expecting this technology, this industry, this ecosystem to deliver value. And, you know, when you call it commoditized, I would say, you know, now it is now the expectation of, okay, what is my return on this investment? What it is that I'm going to get that will make, you know, my business run better, that will basically, where is my business outcome? And I think we are now seeing clearly companies starting to look at those technology as, I don't want to play anymore. I want to do business. We see, you know, CFOs, so that the, uh, the financial side of the company starting to look at this and expect, you know, that it will help both the top and the bottom line of the business PNL. So I think this is all good. It means that, you know, we are done with playing. Now this is serious business and we want serious return on those investments that the company are making. And do you think that uh, that maturity that you mentioned uh, is, is, uh, is beyond RPA because uh, our I think RPA is is at the point of high, high maturity because everybody did their POCs, POVs, and now they are starting to really push forward thousands mm -hmm. of robots at the same time with governance models, with center of excellences, and, and also uh, citizen development programs, all of that. But when you go to the, the different layers that you have in intelligent automation, you mentioned intelligent, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, chats, IDP, mm -hmm. process mining. Uh, do you think that 
all customers that are deploying intelligent automation really have the same maturity over all this toolkit or there is still gaps there that might jeopardize the, 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 the initiatives? Yes. So obviously this is an ecosystem. So you are always going to have components that have more maturity than others. Uh, it's almost becoming, by the way, a platform ecosystem. That's why we have to watch out uh, above and beyond the RPA player. We have to watch out uh, the cloud provider. Right? We have to watch out all those companies that are basically integrating verti vertically for a given industry or providing a platform. Right. So th the point being here is the industry itself uh, is now serious industry. It's now fully mature. But obviously, inside this industry, you are always going to have innovation. Right. I mean... Just in China, there's hundreds of RPA vendors just in China. Yeah. Okay. And no one knows about that. So the point here is innovation is not going to stop. It's actually going to accelerate. But the core, the core of the industry is not mature. People are taking it, uh, you know, uh, seriously. They, they see that not only this is working, but they see that this is absolutely required if they want to survive. Now, obviously, as you said, right, when we go into the edges of, let's say, the voice, we go into the edges of, let's say, the brain with, you know, advanced AI algorithm, or we go into, you know, process mining, task mining, and we can talk about that. There's obviously innovation all over the place. So uh, not everything is consistent, right? But what I can say, and that's normal, there, was, there will always be at the edge of the platform some innovation that, uh, you know, will take time to... Uh, to basically mature, but I would say the industry as a vertical is now to me uh, a mature industry, right? Billions of dollars, it has delivered billions of dollars of return. And uh, again, it's absolutely business critical for pretty much everyone to start automating their process if they want to survive, you know, above and beyond, I would say, I don't know, 2030. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and 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 it's also uh, coming to the SMB market, which which like it's it's a trend that will make this even more a commodity because at some point it, it's parts of, of your IT stack, uh, technology yeah. stack for every company. You mentioned uh, on, uh, on the beginning of our conversation that you often take risks on behalf of your customers and that you have this quite unique approach to mm -hmm. the way you work with your customers. Mm -hmm. um, I would say you put your skin in the game, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit of more about this, uh, or can this translate in practice uh, in the interactions that you have in your projects? Yes. So the way we look at it, right, is up till now, it has been a um, project-based type of approach or um, buying mandates. So basically, client has to buy the technology, client has to buy the service, client has to basically you know, rely on the provider to build, deploy, run, and maintain the solution, or client has to you know, basically set up a COE and do it themselves. But there, there, there was so many situations where the return on that investment was weak for a number of reasons. I think now RPA, I think first time I started doing RPA was 2014 when I started doing uh, RPA on what is now becoming, you know, uh, Microsoft, uh, um, the, the the Power Automate desktop, which was uh, before uh, 
from a company called Softomotive, a Greek company that Microsoft acquired. Anyhow, we've been doing that for so long. We have so many use cases. We have so many success cases. We have we have done so many as a as a group of service provider that we start understanding what we are talking about. And the whole point here of putting skin in the game is to basically start what I call de-risking the client, meaning, hey, Mr. Client, we are in a more mature industry now. We are service provider. We know what we are doing. You don't have to take all the risk. We can share the risk. And we call that uh, outcome as a service. And outcome as a service is a concept where you basically signed what, what we call an outcome-based uh, contract or outcome-based model. And the whole point here is we are only getting paid when we deliver business outcome to the client. Okay. And that's really uh, a way that is really um, uh, clearly telling the world that we are in a mature industry, right? When yeah. you buy electricity for your house, uh, you don't care how the electricity is produced. I mean, it's better if it's clean energy uh, and green energy rather than, you know, a gas or oil or coil uh, uh, energy. But the point is, you don't care. You buy electricity, it's going to be there. You need that much, right? And I think we are, we, we are now at a point where most of the time, not 100% of the time, but most of the time, we are in a situation in industries, um, if I take an HR department, an IT department, a finance department of any company, we have enough understanding of how they work high level. We have enough success story use cases that we know that we are going to deliver a certain amount of outcome. And we are willing as a company to basically tell the client that we are taking the risk. So if today you have, I don't know, 50 people doing payroll and you would like to redeploy those people to do something you know, a, a, a bit higher value uh, for your company, then we are going to commit that we are going to release, you know, 20 people. And if we don't release those people, you don't pay us. That's what we call outcome as a service. It's really, really changing the mindset on I'm not buying technology anymore. I'm not buying development. I'm not buying deployment. I'm not buying support. I'm not buying uh, services. I am buying results. And again, most of the time, although people consider that, you know, it's extremely difficult to set up, it is not. Most of the time, it is very easy and entirely doable to set up a win-win situation with the client and to basically be paid on, on outcome. That, that is a very, very intelligent approach, I would say. Um, it's almost like you are selling the benefits, not really the... The, the path to get there, uh, which sometimes is where people uh, end up spending a lot of money because they don't know, they don't have the experience that you probably have. Yes. They don't they, they don't even understand their own problems. And therefore, deploying technology uh, might not be the, 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 the solution. And with that model, I see a lot of benefits because they are really paying the output, the the benefit at the end, which yeah. which I think, uh, I, I think is is very very interesting approach. And, and if I may, if I may, and what we call a technology agnostic approach, which means that you don't start with the technology, you start with the business, you start with the opportunity, 
you start with a, a clear identification of the expected outcome, business outcome, not technology outcome. And once you have that, then you go into the solutioning, then you go into the technology, then you go into you know all the shiny object, all the cool stuff. But ultimately, this is you know at the end, not at the beginning. Exactly, and and that is a very common pitfall nowadays because too often uh, I see projects failing because they start with this this uh, desire of deploying RPA in everything uh, and at some points uh, they don't think about changing the, the process itself so by changing the process itself we can can uh, uh, it's it's not worthwhile to automate stuff that is not standard and automatable let's let's call it like this uh, so based on all this experience that you have, um, you must have this kind of framework that's used to deploy intelligent automation. So, so can you share with our audience what are the main success factors uh, when starting intelligent in, in an intelligent automation project and and the common pitfalls? Yes, yes. So first of all, again, restating the obvious: do not fall in love with the technology. <laughs> I know it's very tempting, uh, but it's a big mistake. <laughs> Uh, it's a big mistake, uh, you know. And again, this is not new. It's not related to RPA. You know, the Linux versus Microsoft uh, situation that we had many, many years ago, right, uh, was a good example. And, and there's so many examples there: Apple yeah. versus Android, and, and all of that, right? So, anyhow, uh, I, I think one of the and it's very normal, right? The community is a community of technical people. And they like to build stuff because, you know, you have technology and you build. Uh, when you look at the typical phases, this is pretty much a given nowadays, right? There's, there's three main phases when you have an automation project. The first one being the discovery, understanding what it is that you have to do, where you want to focus and what's the opportunity. How do you prioritize? We can talk about that. The second being I build the solution, I deploy the solution. And the last phase, which is a phase that will probably be discussed a lot in many, many years, which is the automation ops or running the solution, maintaining yeah. the solution. Once you have this digital workforce doing all kinds of things, you don't want this digital workforce to fail. And when you have thousands of them, when you have you know half of your delivery that is running on, on machine, uh, on smart machine, then you better have a very strong automation ops, right? So you have those three phases, discovery, build and deploy, and then automation ops. And people had a tendency to focus very heavily on building stuff. Uh, and that's a mistake, okay? Uh, nowadays, the market is evolving the discovery phase, the process mining, the task mining, the, 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 the data-driven approach uh, is starting, you know, to become visible. We have uh, very large, you know, process mining players that are making a lot of noise, task mining players that are making a lot of noise, a lot of AI platform capable to analyze, uh, you know, semi-structured, unstructured uh, data, dark data, and all that. So this is really, really critical, that phase, because if you don't do a discovery right, uh, you could end up running, running really fast, but in the wrong direction. Uh, so discovery is really important. And then automation ops is absolutely critical. Once you have established something, you have made an impact, there's a, a, a typical uh, issue, which is called the, the ROI leakage meaning over time, your solution becomes less and less efficient. It's automating less and less. 
and it's basically dying by itself because it's not correctly maintained. The environment is dynamic, it's changing all, all, uh, all the time, and you got to maintain your digital workforce and you got to babysit your digital workforce to make sure that instead of being less and less efficient, it's actually more and more efficient. You know, we have things like what we call the automation rate. How much automation am I doing in this environment? This is a KPI that needs to be looked at and improve over time. So bottom line here, uh, those three phases are critical. And again, falling in love with technology, jumping to building stuff without understanding which direction to run, forgetting, you know, to have a proper operation. Uh, it's not a project automation. It is a, an operation. It's not something you start and you finish and you're done, right? This is not just a migration. to It's, it's basically moving from human operation to machine operation. That has to be handled. Okay, so those are the typical uh, conceptual mistake that uh, a lot of people are doing, right? They they jump on the wrong stuff and they forget that there's a bigger picture and that all those faces are equally important. You touch you touch a quite uh, interesting concept uh, when it comes to operations uh, because too often I, I and and this has been a topic in several of our episodes. Uh, Our, our, our RPA and automation is like a bridge between humans, processes, and technology. Uh, you, you, when you look at an organization, uh, you have established a set of, of departments and business units to handle people, human resources, culture, people, all that stuff. And then you have the IT department managing a maintenance over very very stable environments, let's say an RP or CRM, which don't change that much over time. But then you start to build this, this quite quite wide uh, and, and big uh, uh, workforce that is, that is IT-based, but at the same time working over processes and with people, uh, which is in the middle. It's not run by the IT itself. It has a, a foot... On, on the operations, it connects with people, but at the same time, it's a technology. So uh, having this operation model, I think is very challenging for most companies because uh, mm -hmm. it's not really the way, it's like it's nobody's land, right? It is. So, and and we could, we could speak for three hours about our <laughs> Right, this is a very, very critical uh, a topic, and you will see over time in the, in the coming years huge uh, amount of problems related to running the automation. By the way, the same way you have huge amount of problems running human operation, it's normal, it's complex, it's it's alive, and it's the same with the you know with the automation. So, uh, what I can say here is is. I would say very simple. So first of all, not all automation solutions are equal. You are going to see a strong tendency from a lot of people to you know, run away from UI integration, to embrace API integration because it's more robust, to run away from you know, point solution, to embrace platform approach to run away from, I have 20 vendors to, you know, I have a large, I don't know, cloud provider that is, you know, giving me a lot of what I need. So there will be, um, um, I would say, a expectation, there will be research, there will be a, a need 
for more robust solution, right? So things that are basically at the edge of the IT environment when I, you know, do the UI integration and I don't work with IT and I work with the business and I work under the desk and I do this, there will be a need as we start scaling to basically have a, basically a much stronger governance around automation, technical governance. And you are going to see IT and the CIO uh, becoming more and more, you know, uh, critical to ensure uh, that you know the governance around the automation around the digital workforce uh, is there, right? There will always be at the edges in you know distributed in different location in different business, maybe some shadow IT automation, whatever, or citizen development, whatever you want to call it. But ultimately, you are going to see the needs to uh, uh, establish a strong governance. Think about. ITIL or ITSM or IT for IT, but for automation, right? Some sort of standards, some sort of governance, something that helps manage. That's going to be something that is really, really important here. And then you are going to see also company that will be specialized in handling that mess on behalf of the clients. You know, in the 90s, we had a strong wave uh, for young people, right? uh, 1990s. Uh, so uh, 30 years ago, we had a strong wave of, I am outsourcing. I don't want to do the IT by myself. I'm asking uh, an outsourcer to do it for me because it was very complex. It was a lot of work. It was very expensive. It was very difficult to enforce governance and all that. I think we are going to see waves of, okay, it's not my core business to manage all these automation. I have thousands of robots multiple version, multiple generation, multiple vendors. It's a mess for me to manage. Let me call a service provider, give everything to that provider for them to manage for me, right? So definitely uh, automation ops is going to require uh, a lot more structure, uh, a lot more focus uh, as we start scaling and as we start having thousands and tens of thousands of bots doing stuff all over the place, right? So this is going to be a topic of the future for sure. Uh, you, you already answered one of the the, the last questions <laughs> that is uh, uh, highlighting the trends for the future. But but uh, before going to the future, I would like to 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 ask you because you mentioned that often these projects fell uh, fell on, on their expectations, uh, and uh, you mentioned also the importance of having a very good discovery process. Mm-hmm. Um, can you uh, share some some of your experience why these expectations are not met and what kind of uh, expectations do the customer have that can be work mm-hmm. in a discovery process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this has to do with where we are in the evolution of this industry, right? What used to work maybe five, seven, ten years ago doesn't work anymore. What I call the bottom-up approach. Uh, when you are playing with technology, you can, you know, randomly select a place, uh, do a POC, POV, see it works, everyone is happy and say, yeah, great, you know, it's the, it, the technology works, uh, everyone is happy. I think nowadays, uh, this bottom-up approach is definitely not going to uh, allow company to scale. I think what we are now, we are in a phase where we have, we need to have a top-down approach. Let me articulate what a top-down approach is. 
Uh, you work with a company. That company has, as I said before, an HR department, an IT department, an operation, maybe a finance department. You got to approach it top down. And you got to target the entire department. And you got to target, you know, what I call the, con the consolidation point, the big processes that are done by many, many people, but not one guy doing something, you know, there, but we talk about 5, 10, 20, 30, sometimes hundreds of people doing the same process. This you see when you look at, you know, end-to-end, uh, -end, top-down, you see those big consolidation points, and that's what you want to target. Why? Because this is going to give the big impact. This is going to give, you know, uh, a big impact that will make a difference for the business that will be uh, noticed by the COO, the CFO, will be noticed by, you know, the clients as well. Right? So having a top-down approach is really something that people need to have, right? And uh, the discovery is a critical component here because when you discover your environment, before we used to send many people for many months talking to everyone, taking notes. Nowadays, we have to do a, a data-driven discovery. So we got to collect the data that is available, structured data, but also semi and unstructured data, do the analysis of this entire data and identify those, those, those consolidation points. When the data is not available, so when you cannot analyze or process mine the data because it's not available because of instead of using one tool, the client is using 20 tools, then you got to create the data. And you can create the data using you know task mining uh, capability where you basically build a digital blueprint of what the people are doing and you understand what they are doing. But analyzing the data that is available or creating the data and then doing the analysis is absolutely critical because it will give you the end-to-end -end picture of what the company is all about. What are the big consolidation points? And again, if I go talk to the CFO, is the CFO going to listen to me if, I'm, if I tell him that I'm going to save, I don't know, $10,000 per year? Or is he going to listen to me if I'm going to save $10 million per year? So again, this is really, really important here is understanding that bottom-up is not really applicable given where we are in the industry. We are in this maturity, in this industrialized phase. We got we to gotta think big. We got to look at the end-to-end the end data and we got to tackle an entire department in order to make a difference. And I think nowadays the technology is allowing us to do that, right? It's more a mindset issue that we have where we still like to play bottom-up, we have scattered projects all over the place, it's inconsistent, it's not scalable, and it's not really going to be you know, visible to the leaders of the company because it's too small in terms of impact. Exactly. Uh, we are approaching the end of the conversation, but uh, uh, our audience um, loves always to know some real case success stories, and I know that you have a lot of them. Can you share one or two very quickly uh, and 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 explain uh, how they are how they become a success for you? Yeah, I can definitely give a couple of examples. Um, so back to you know this outcome as a service, right? So we signed a, a gain share model uh, with a fourteen fourteen two thousand company uh, and. Um, What we basically uh, do for them is uh, we, we help the IT department um, automate uh, 
the support. Uh, they have a very large operation distributed across uh, the world, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of, of location, thousands, tens of thousands of PCs and network devices and all of that. And uh, I can imagine the number of tickets every day. You know, <laughs> you don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> And, and obviously, the model that they have is an outsource model. So basically, they have a partner that is, you know, handling the ticket. They get paid by the tickets, and, and obviously, uh, there's no there's no reason for that partner to really reduce the number of tickets because they get paid by the ticket. So that's where we come in. We look at this end to end, and we basically apply a whole bunch of different type of automation. We and that's very important, we leverage the client environment. So we leverage the investment that the client has made uh, before we introduce any new technology. We look at what the client has. Most of the time, those clients, they have everything. Uh, so we leverage what they have. And then uh, we ended up in less than a year, and this is, again, a multi-billion dollar revenue company. In less than one year, we cut the number of tickets by half meaning we have automated half of their total worldwide volume of tickets, which is obviously having a huge impact on the bill that they were paying, uh, you know, and uh, this is and fully... I can, I, I can imagine the, the, a huge impact also on the lead time of the tickets, not only it, on costs. It's, 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 so from a cost standpoint, it's huge. From a, a client satisfaction standpoint, it is huge because obviously... Since we are automating everything we can automate, uh, you know the people are, have a better focus on the tickets that are left. So the response time or the MTTR, you know the uh, which is a, the the mean time to respond, which is a, a typical KPI in those environment, has improved through the roof, right? So again, the point here is this is truly win-win because the client is very happy because you know it's less complex, there's less tickets. The clients, client. Um, are very happy as well because everything is resolved much faster. And we are very happy because we have a Gensha model and, you know, this is a true win-win. So this is a good example. I, mean, I, I don't want to take too much time, but this is a good example of what I would call a, a true outcome as a service contract, right? And, and, and a true win-win uh, model between us and the client. Uh, again, I, I could give you many other examples uh, in the, you know, in the HR department, in the finance department, um, um, again, we, we don't really look at it by industry uh, because what we consider, and uh, not everyone agree with that, is that what an HR department is doing, whether it is that industry or this industry, uh, there's a lot of common tasks, right? So attrition, so onboarding employee, offboarding employee, uh, you know, all those activities are typically the same no matter what the industry is. The same in finance when you have to chase a client because he's not paying or when you have to disable a service because the client, you know, is gone or did not pay or, or whatever. Typically, we see a lot of uh, commonality across uh, multiple industries. And uh, the point being here is when you have an outcome as a service model, uh, what is really great here is when we start winning, the clients start winning, uh, and, and the client wants more because, again, they are taking no financial risk because they are not paying until they see the result and they typically, you know, want more. Um, so again, lots of good example. Uh, I have a lot more. I mean, if you guys are interested, uh, drop me a mail. I can talk for hours about that. Fantastic. Um, I always like to end our conversation asking the, the guests to share 
some suggestions of, of a book, a podcast, or a person to follow so our audience can know more about intelligent automation. I already saw a book there. Not sure if that is your recommendation. Yeah, so that's the obvious one, right? So that's the... The Bible, right? The Bible uh, in the industry, right? And it's really interesting because... Can you state the name and the, the author just for... Sure. Because it's, Pas it's intelligent automation. Pascal yeah. Bonnet. Pascal Bonnet. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it everywhere. Pascal Bonnet has close to 1 million follower on LinkedIn. So you cannot, you know, you cannot not know him. Uh, and we work, you know, very closely with Pascal. And the point here is it's very interesting how intelligent automation is articulated and defined. And we use some of the framework in there to, you know, articulate the technology so that client can understand what, what it is that we are doing. Yeah. And, and I must say that it's a very, very nice book to start with. Uh, so I advise everybody to have this book. It's like the Bible. You have there everything you need to understand the space, understand how to start and how to scale. So it's, yeah, it's a very, very nice book. So uh, last question, Oliver, what is next for you and for uh, Intelligent Automation Company? And how can our audience reach out to you? Yeah, so... Uh, Olivier at IAC.ai website is IAC.ai so you can you can reach out uh, one thing that we really want to be recognized for uh, globally is this outcome as a service right so we are introduced uh, we are introducing something that we consider is very disruptive not everyone is willing to do it because it has risk uh, on the service provider side like cash flow risk that we are willing to take but I think this is really going to make a lot of noise and we are going to make a lot of noise around this outcome as a service model. And we believe that a lot of clients will be interested to explore uh, you know, the possibility and, and, and they should be requesting their current provider you know, to switch to this model, right? And they can see what kind of answer they're going to get. So, so that's one big thing. And then I'm also working on a platform. I don't want to talk about it, but uh, we are going to... Um, we are going to do something that I, I also believe is going to help the industry improve overall time to value. And we are working right now secretly on a platform that we are going to release. It is not a, a platform as, as a tool. It is more like a, a platform for the community to, to help people understand what to automate and how to automate. I, I, I will talk about it probably you know, within six months. But nowadays, short-term next, uh, next step for us, Outcome as a service, that's what we want to push to the industry. So so people should follow you at LinkedIn and, and subscribe all the channels to keep in to keep uh, uh updated with, with that. And and uh you I, I I must say that everything that can help the community to better to, to raise their maturities is like very good because at some point it's very hard to distinguish between the, the marketing buzz from things that really work. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so having uh, people that know the space and that have experience making that experience uh, available for others, it's, it's, it's very important. Uh, Oliver, uh, hosting this episode was really a pleasure to me. Uh, it was fantastic to know, more about your experience. Uh, it's always uh, refreshing to know that there are people working in this field for quite some time. So uh, this is not a new space. Uh, there's a lot of knowledge already 
available and ready to be deployed. So take advantage of that, <laughs> people that are listening. And so thank you again for chatting with me and for being on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure for me as well. So thanks, thanks for uh, uh, inviting me. And again, anyone listening, if you guys are looking for advice or an assessment or whatever, don't be shy. Drop me a message. Fantastic. I have been your host, João Fernandes, and this has been Automation Notes. See you next time. What a fantastic show. So many incredible takeaways. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to stay updated with the most recent intelligent automation trends, success stories, and promising projects, please subscribe to Automation Notes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Anchor, and YouTube. You can find the links in the subscription. We release a new episode every two weeks. But before we leave you today, if you want to take your automation projects to an all-new level, leveraging critical data locked in your documents, photos, or emails, visit docdigitizer.com and find out how you can deploy the world's most reliable intelligent document processing platform in less than one day. You can get 100% accurate data from nearly any document with close to zero setup and a full pay-per-use model, all into a single API call. Whether you are looking to process a simple invoice, streamline your customer onboarding journey or get data from your legal contracts, Doc Digitizer will be your trusted IDP partner. Doc Digitizer offers an all-in-one, fully managed API, making intelligent document processing truly easy. But don't just take my word for it. Take the word of leading global 2,000 organizations, all loving and using Doc Digitizer to unlock hyper-automation over complex and unstructured mission-critical processes. Doc Digitizer is helping companies across multiple industries to reach their full potential through data by empowering their digital transformation, drive operational efficiency and human productivity, unlocking the power of their data. Head over to docdigitizer.com and start your all-inclusive IDP journey. Use the code AUTOMATIONNOTES10 and get 10% discount on any Doc Digitizer subscription. See you next time. Thank you.